The theme for our officers' retreat this past two days was why we start with the why. When I started pondering that question, my mind immediately went to conversations with our kids as they discovered the power of why going something like this. Claire, please brush your teeth. Why? Because we don't want your teeth to fall out. Why would my teeth fall out? Because you can get cavities if you don't brush your teeth. Why would I get cavities? And so forth, often leading to the end of the line statement, because I said so. (laughs) So it, it turns out that the question of why is not only a great way to express curiosity and, and perhaps to tweak your parents, but it's also a critical matter for leaders and organizations to articulate in order to inspire those who share their beliefs. In the course of the officer's retreat, we considered a framework called the Golden Circle that was developed by a man named Simon Sinek. I would like to briefly introduce you to this model and then speak about what it has meant to me in my professional life and how I think about this church. Simon Sinek is an author and a motivational speaker working with the Rand Corporation and has a background in anthropology and advertising. His book in 2009 was entitled, Start with the Why, How Great Leaders Inspire Everyone to Take Action. We watched his TED Talk from that same year in which he poses the question of how it is that certain leaders and companies are able to achieve things that defy expectations. Using the examples of Apple computers, the Wright brothers, and Martin Luther King, Sinek identified a common pattern. Let me show you the golden circle. So on the outside is the what? In the middle is the how. And in the very center is the why. Every person, every employee of of a company knows what he or she does. Some know how they do it, but very few know and are able to articulate why they do what they do, their purpose, their cause, their belief, why their organization exists, why they get out of bed in the morning, While most people communicate the what very easily, the leaders and organizations that truly inspire think, act, and communicate from the inside out, starting with a why. Sinek claims that people don't buy, in the context of of corporations, they don't buy what you do, but they buy why you do it why you do it, and that what you do proves what you believe. Sinek draws an interesting um, comparison between his model of the golden circle and how our brains are constructed. So on the outside is the neocortex, our homo sapiens brains. 
So uh, that's the, the, the part of our brains responsible for rational analytic thought and for language. So deeper in these other two layers are more primitive limbic brains. And those are the parts of our brains responsible for behavior, for decision making, for emotion, where language isn't seated. Sinek's claim is that to truly inspire, one must engage that limbic brain, the why, the belief, the cause. Martin Luther King inspired 250,000 people to come to Washington, D.C. in the summer of 1963, not by outlining a 10-point plan for achieving racial justice, but by speaking passionately over and over and over again about his dream for a better America, in which the laws of the nation would come to resemble God's laws. So people came not for him, not for the what, but for themselves, for the belief that they shared with him. Sinek concludes his TED Talk by asserting that those who lead inspire us. We follow those who lead because we want to for ourselves. Those who start with the why have that ability to inspire. If you are interested in watching Sinek's 20-minute TED Talk, that will be shown in the fireside room after the service today. Joanne's invitation to speak this morning came to me at a time when my professional life as chief of adult and family medicine at Kaiser San Rafael has never been busier. With the insurance exchanges going live this month and the healthcare marketplace transforming rapidly in the face of unprecedented pressures to reduce costs, that the, uh, we have been introducing a, a flurry of changes intended to provide our patients with the experience of quality and service that they can't experience anywhere else. So this month we have introduced video visits, we've installed a major upgrade in our electronic medical record, we've held meetings between specialty departments two or three evenings a week, much to the delight of my bride, <laughs> to identify opportunities to improve care. It has been quite overwhelming. Then enters the question, why? As I set aside the question of how I could take on another task in October, I realize there is really no higher priority than being able to articulate why I am called to do what I do, particularly in the midst of disruptive change and lots of noise. The compass bearing that has helped guide me through this wild time at work is the why. To help our patients be as healthy as possible, to help those who are ill to get better, to provide comfort for those who are suffering. One of my colleagues recently relayed to me the reassurance he received from a more senior mentor reflecting on the stress of so many changes at work all at once. Don't worry, when it comes down to it, we are doing God's work. For me, the question of why is God's challenge to us to be clear, focused, and committed. So how does the question of why apply to our church? Why do we gather here? Why do we do what we do? Why do we serve together? Why should this or any other institutional church continue to exist? So back to Claire, why do we have to go to church this morning? 
Clearly the response of because I said so doesn't cut it. So on the officer's retreat, we spent much of Saturday morning exploring the whys for our church. What scripture passages inform us? What hymns give voice to our common beliefs? For me, the why is rooted in the, in the belief that we are all children of God, members of the body of Christ. As children of God, we are called to join in community to serve one another, to do justice in the world around us, and to fill the world with God's love. To Claire, Sarah, and James, we come to church, to this church, to step back from the noise of our busy lives and to focus on the most important, to come together as a family and a community to give thanks for our many blessings, to hear God's call, to learn what Jesus has to teach us, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit as instruments of God's justice and love. Our great challenge as a congregation is to sing out the why in all that we do. As an introverted New Englander, I am profoundly uncomfortable with evangelism and would rather just go about my work without talking about the why. And yet we face the gauntlet thrown down in the Timothy passage to proclaim the message, to do the work of the evangelist, it is my hope that we can emerge from this time of introspection to proclaim the glorious why of First Presbyterian Church San Anselmo. Our purpose, our cause, our belief, our compelling message. When we're clear about our why, we will inspire the other children of God to engage in God's work with us. We start with the why to lead in our service, our commitment to justice, and our love. Amen. When Joanne asked us to talk about the why, as why we come to church, uh, what motivates us to be here, I had to think a little bit. Uh, I grew up in this church. I went to Sunday school here, so it's always been a very safe place for me, but that does not uh, explain my why. My why really has to do with the transformation I experience when I share in this community. Uh, you could say that it is my desire to be changed for the better by operation of the Holy Spirit in God's community. The first thing that came to mind when I thought about the why question was the image of us, our community, First Presbyterian Presbyterians gathered at San Anselmo City Hall last month to honor Joy Schneider for her work with the REST Food Shelter Program. Her award was given during the beginning of the City Council meeting to a standing room only audience. Joy gave a wonderful acceptance speech, she thanked all the right people, and the award was bestowed with genuine applause. Immediately following the ceremony, the city council chamber emptied through the back doors. Nearly half the people left. And this caused the, the mayor to comment, there go the Presbyterians. <laughs> <clears throat> At that moment, 
And I know pride is not a virtue, but I felt so proud, if not a little unworthy, (laughs) to walk with this community as a Presbyterian and a member of this congregation. We were recognized as believers, members of the community, and I'll say it, Christians, doing the right thing, a transforming experience for me. The study of the word is another thing that explains my presence here. My adult participation in this community did not begin until I was in my 30s, and I decided to take a three-month kerygma class from then associate pastor or associated pastor, uh, David Warner. We learned about the people of the Bible through the study of various themes, and that class had a profound spiritual impact on me. It helped me recognize the power of Jesus Christ and the fact that Jesus Christ is a vehicle for my faith. It also introduced me to this community of believers. This congregation fosters dialogue about faith through the study of the word, from scripture, and from non-biblical texts. We are invited and personally challenged to explore from an intellectual and spiritual perspective our faith. I am truly grateful for that opportunity. One of my co-workers at work is a, uh, I guess he would be at work if he's a co-worker, uh, is a practicing Roman Catholic. And, and we are often comparing our traditions and occasionally we'll tease each other about being Presbyterian or being Catholic. And a few months ago, uh, during all the media attention for the naming of a new pope, uh, he said to me, I bet you Presbyterians are just a little jealous that you don't have a pope. Now, he was obviously kidding, and this initiated a conversation about how both our churches, within the context of our structure, are trying to do the right thing. But I must admit, despite all the jokes about the Book of Order, there's something to be said for Presbyterian government. And believe it or not, and this is almost embarrassing, but that's one of the things that I like about this place and one of the things that's increased my comfort level about calling myself a Presbyterian. Our principles of church government are instrumental in the way we express our faith. We as a congregation and as individuals are challenged to discern and measure our fidelity to the word of God with each corporate decision we make. Our polity personally challenges us to incorporate our faith into action. It constantly reminds us that everyone is welcome at the table, that we live in the grace of God's love, and that loving one another is something we need to practice on a day-to-day basis. When we are personally challenged in this way, we are transformed. Most Sundays I walk away from this place having been changed or uplifted. I like to say I take something away, whether it's a conversation a hymn, or something that speaks to me in a sermon, the celebration of our inclusiveness. I mean, just listening to the choir in this place is a spiritual experience. If you are not a believer and you come to this place and you hear the choir, it just may transform you. Here, we come together as part of the body of Christ. Our motto is love one another, and it shows in how we interact in the world and with each other. We are invited to accept each other, be vulnerable, and enjoy the fruits of God's love together, here and now. Amen to that.
In this morning's uh, scripture passage, 2 Timothy, Paul is talking to Timothy after telling him how terrible times will be in the uh, last days. I'm glad we didn't have to read the long list of godless ways he says people will be behaving then because you'd all recognize them as being very common, very prevalent now, and if you took them seriously, you'd think we were in last days right now. In that context, Paul is exhorting Timothy to continue what you have learned, charges him to preach the word. I was disappointed he didn't add use words if necessary. But then finally says, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry as though they were one and the same. It's a pretty straightforward message has its uh, uh, nuances, but basically it says no matter how bad things are, no matter what's going on in the rest of the world, no matter what everybody else is doing, pay attention to what you've learned, preach the word, discharge all the words, the word, duties of your ministry. What I wonder is how Paul and Timothy would answer the question, why am I doing what I'm doing now? I wonder if they'd answer it the same way. But the point of my assignment for today, the question is, how do I answer that question? The theme of the retreat, why do we start with the why, very quickly for me became, why do I live my life the way I live my life? More accurately, perhaps, how do I try to live my life, or how do I wish I could live my life? I've never posed that question to myself in that way. But pondering this uh, question does give me an answer. I say it very hesitantly because it, uh, it sounds kind of pious and self-righteous. And I've, uh, I've never said it out loud before. Uh, it takes, takes some courage for me to say it. But I believe that God dwells in me as the Holy Spirit, who is alive, living my life with me, constantly, in all situations, inviting and guiding and pushing and prodding, and in whatever way possible, trying to get me to live my life, acting and responding with love. That makes me a partner of God's, doing God's work in the world. Understanding what God's love requires is not easy, not simple. But my ability to respond to those urgings is the measure of how successful I am at having God be the true center of my life, which is my deepest desire. I don't want to be loyal to the cultural small-g gods that determine the meaning of the lives of so many of us in our society. Those are primarily materialism and money, but there are many, many others. And for me, there have been other centers of my life and other places my loyalty has been placed, as there are even now. But I want the meaning of my life to be in my desire to have God be its true center 
and my working to make it so. Those are the words that I wrote before the officer's retreat. What I want to add now are these. I believe that we are all children of God, one part of the creation which God loves, just one part. We are also children of God in the body of Christ, and thus partners, all of us, with God, doing God's work in the world. My great desire and hope is that what we do in this congregation proves that we all believe those things. That anyone looking at us will know that we are children of God treating everyone as a child of God. That we love the entire creation. That we are loyal to Jesus' teachings and as members of the body of Christ doing our best to be partners with God doing God's work in the world. What a beautiful image. Amen.